All right. Okay, so um, the first question in the interview is, what is your name and your pronouns and where are you from? My name's Yamili Pardio and my pronouns are she, they. I'm from Merida, Yucatan, Mexico, but I grew up um, in 2001 onward in the San Gabriel Valley in California. Awesome, thank you so much. Nice to meet you. Um, so our second question is, can you share a bit about your personal journey and how your experiences as a multiracial, indigenous, queer, undocumented, and neurodivergent person have shaped your identity and activism? Um, well, I guess the experience that really impacted me was being undocumented. Um, I know a lot of people grew up not knowing they were undocumented until college applications came in high school, um, but it was never a secret with my family. So we always kind of navigated the US with a lot of paranoia around law enforcement and um, information giving. Uh, so I kind of always knew that I was um, vulnerable and knowing that from a really young age kind of just like shapes you throughout your life. So um, I think like it really started to hit when high school came and my family was trying to get their papers fixed, but the lawyer ripped them off. So we got scammed and that felt like a huge injustice. And that's kind of where I started really questioning a lot of things because I thought, you know, we were quote unquote good immigrants, so everything would be okay with us. But I realized that it doesn't really matter whether you abide by the rules or not, you're still gonna be vulnerable and susceptible to injustice. So um, after high school, I started to feel more empowered, probably given my age, to get involved. Um, and I mostly did it to like help myself get through community college, but then I ended up getting involved in student organizing at the, um, at the state level with a student network called California Dream Network. And um, after DACA passed, I became more involved with the community by like being involved in those DACA clinics. Um, and little by little, I started to get into um, more niche parts of the immigrant community, such as queer and trans immigrant communities. Um, eventually my work led me to working with um, trans women in detention centers mostly building mutual aid networks to help them uh, acclimate to the U.S. after they were released from detention. Um, so that work kind of exposed me to a lot of different things. Um, and it was very traumatic as well, just because there's a lot of violence that's faced by queer trans immigrant people. I did see myself reflected in the folks that I worked with. So it was also kind of like triggering for me to think about like my own experiences. Eventually the work just became too much for someone um, of such a young age at the time. It was like, I was probably like 20 years old. So it like just really impacted me emotionally. I had to take a step back. Um, but yeah, that's kind of the trajectory of my organizing experience with the immigrant movement. Thank you so much. Thank you for sharing that. And I'm so sorry about uh, about um, the lawyer like ripping off your family. That's so that's so wrong, so wrong. Thank you so much for sharing that. 
Um, so our next question is like, how do you navigate and embrace the intersectionality of your identities? Um, I think I, I've really come to embrace being part of a diaspora. Um, I really lean into um, being Chinese and Mexican, uh, just because I think like racial politics amongst Mexicans is really misconstrued. Um, I don't want to use the word ignorance, but because I think it's manufactured ignorance on behalf of the Mexican state when they're when it comes to crafting the Mexican identity. So I'm really vocal about you know, being mixed race in that sense. Um, so being indigenous in Yucatan um, was pretty normal. We're a largely indigenous population, but once I migrated to Los Angeles, I really started to be discriminated against by other Mexicans because of the Mayan words that make their way into my daily vocabulary. And at the time, I didn't even know that they were Mayan words. It was just, you know, I got made fun of for it and later on learned that I knew a whole nother language um, that was mixed with my Spanish. Um, but going back to like, you know, being being Asian and indigenous as a Mexican, um, I think it just, I like to bring it up to people just so that they can start thinking about who makes up the Mexican population and really just, push back against like the mestizo narratives, um, which are not even true for a lot of Mexicans, but a lot of people just kind of embrace them because our history is so erased. So I think like on interpersonal levels, you know, I just like to talk about my background as a way to inform people of Mexican histories outside of the canon. Is there, were there other parts to that question that I didn't get to? No, 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 the, uh, you answered it perfectly. Um, I also wanted to ask this next question, which is kind of like the same as the last question. Um, so like, have you faced any particular obstacles or discrimination due to being undocumented, um, gay or um, and neurodivergent? I know you spoke a little bit about it um, earlier, but how have you like managed to overcome these challenges and what support systems have been helpful for you? Um, well, definitely, you know, being undocumented brought its own forms of discrimination, especially like at the DMV. <laughs> um, and I've managed to, you know, build a pretty good network of advocates um, throughout my organizing. So I've really leaned into the community that I've built um, to help me navigate some like bureaucratic systems that discriminate against me for my immigration status. So for example, I've had a friend who's at the time was older than me and um, just more like professional come with me to the DMV to be my advocate. Um, so that's, you know, leaning into um, folks that I know that are just better equipped to navigate these systems than I am has been really helpful. Um, also, like, you know, just building community with other queer folks who are also undocumented was really helpful. Um, yeah, I guess it just comes down to building community. 
Awesome. I'm I'm glad you were able to meet other people who had like similar experiences. It's always nice to uh share those kind of things with them. Um how do you foster I can also add yeah, go ahead. Oh, I just forgot to mention, and I think this is important to mention, is that also, you know, being queer and undocumented made me a target at a community college that was really conservative just um because there were like conservative i'm i'm just gonna call them fascist students that were organized on campus and like targeted not just me but other students on the basis of free speech so that was also another experience that i had to navigate and again not having a lot of support from bureaucratic powers such as student services offices and stuff that really sided with again the rhetoric of free speech um so that was you know a really vulnerable experience that led me to have to go to a different college for safety reasons that is that is so crazy wow um thank you for sharing that i know like a lot of these things are um pretty vulnerable um no one really wants to experience them but I really appreciate you like sharing a little bit about them um our next question is how do you foster inclusivity within your activism considering like the diverse identities and the needs um of the communities you represent what was the first part yeah how do you foster inclusivity within your activism um, well, right now I work for an arts advocacy organization, so I'm able to, you know, continue um, my activism in the professional setting. And that gives me a certain level of power just because I work in programs. So I help run the programs that we do. And part of that um, is onboarding people onto our programs. So selecting applicants to be part of our programs and I try to be really mindful about having a diverse group of people. So from different educational backgrounds, different professional levels, different ethnic identities. And I really lean on the tools that I have to be able to do that, such as um, like survey design. So when we are, you know, designing these applications, I wanna make sure that we're asking the right questions to be able to gauge folks' experiences and backgrounds, and then working with the applications that we get, I always, you know, um, again, try to make sure that we have a diverse range of folks in our program. Thank you so much. Um, so you mentioned that you worked at an arts advocacy program? Yeah, I worked for an arts advocacy org. Okay, can you speak a little bit more about what that is, like what you do um, in your role? That sounds so interesting. Yeah, it's kind of a niche place that I'm really happy I ended up in. Um, so apart from like the organizing that I did in the immigrant movement, I personally have an interest in art. Um, so I've always wanted to incorporate the two. And I definitely was able to when it came to community organizing. Like I did a lot of um, like poster nights, 
So it's teaching folks how to uh, paint banners with a projector and giving them artistic tools to be able to contribute to organizing. Um, so I was able to like lean into that experience. And also I've had experience working in museums. So I went back to school in 2021 and um, I was working as an educator at a museum at the time. And it was a part-time job. So I needed another part-time job. And I was looking at internships and I found this organization that seemed to cross all of my interests, um, arts and advocacy. So I applied to a student organizing internship that they had and the organization saw me as a perfect fit. I joined them as an intern, later got promoted into a program associate position where I work under the director of programming. Um, and what essentially we do is we try to tap into um, arts industry workers. So this is not just artists, um, but also like arts admin folks. So folks who do the administrative side of arts organizations um, to really like build some power there and in the program side, we do leadership development. So we have different leadership development programs um, that pretty much teach advocacy skills to these folks. And the point is so that we can be able to like, you know, tap into that network when it comes to um, asking for support on certain legislative measures that support the arts, especially after the pandemic. Um, really hit the arts industry economically. Um, we're really um, trying to get the state to invest in the arts because our biggest data point as an organization is that Los Angeles County generates the most revenue through its arts industries um, out of any county in the country, but um, is, num is ranked number 259 in government support for the arts. So there's a major discrepancy there with being, again, the county that generates the most revenue through the arts, but is number 259 in support for the arts. So we are really, really, you know, wanting um, the county to start investing more in its arts organizations. That's where our advocacy is focused on. Thank you. Um, I've never heard anything like that before, so I really wanted to ask more about that but thank you for sharing um yeah, the org is called um arts for la arts for la okay let me write that out <laughs> so it's like is art like one of your passions that you really love to kind of like use as your um i don't know strength um and also when it comes to like advocating for um the things that you're passionate about is art like one of your forms of um, expression? Definitely. I've always been artistically inclined and I come from a family of artists. My mom's a dancer. Um, her father, my grandfather, is an established musician in Yucatan. Of, uh, he's a he's a requintista for bolero groups. Oh. So, um, and he, I think he like teaches now or something. Um, and I've always been artistically inclined, not not through music and dance necessarily, but through visual art. 
And I did receive a lot of support um, for that from my family because we are a family of artists, um, which I know is not common amongst uh, immigrant communities who generally want their uh, children to like go into STEM, um, which I'm also interested in, but I'm really interested in art just because I'm, I'm really into, you know, building community. And I think art conversations or conversations about art can really open up doors to getting to know other people, getting to know history. I pretty much feel like you can talk about anything through art. You can talk about science, you can talk about history, you can talk about feelings. Um, and throughout my experience in art, I've been able to facilitate conversations and see how they benefit folks in that sense. So I really, you know, think that it's a powerful tool to humanize us, um, to get us to be empathetic to each other, which I think is the essence of fighting against injustices faced by oppressed communities. Thank you. That, that was beautiful. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're, uh, we're at our last, second to the last questions of our interview. Um, but basically, what advice would you give to others who may share may, may share similar backgrounds or want to become activists for marginalized communities? And are there any resources or organizations you would recommend for support? Um, I would say that it's a tough road. You know, I wouldn't want to sugarcoat it. Um, I definitely struggled finding community just because also like, on a personality level, like I could be kind of intense and I'm very outspoken. So sometimes I'm like, I found my, I think I found a community. And if I start seeing issues and I start speaking up about it, I've learned that not everyone is responsive to that. So it took a lot of trial and error for me to actually find um, my group of people. And I would say I'm still working on it just because we're evolving, people are evolving. So community is not a static thing. And sometimes it will be very hard to find community, especially if you are someone with all these intersecting identities that may be overlooked by other communities um, of identities that you pertain to. For example, being undocumented. Um, I learned early, I learned like a while ago. So when I was younger and I was uh, first starting school, so this was like 2012, college um I a lot of the undocumented folks had this American dream type politic um very assimilationist uh very anti-black and you know I pertain to that community but they they have their problems so again I faced um I faced some setbacks there where like, I'm like, cool. I, I met folks who like, you know, want to support me, but it's like, oops, they're like problematic. I bring it up to them. They are resistant or they're not. Um, bridges are burned. Um, the fire that burned the bridges lights the way type thing. Um, so yeah, I would just say to like, you know, prepare yourself to have a lot of tri- trial and error when it comes to building community, but to really, um, focus on what it is that you want to do for yourself and try to build community around your own path. So again, because we're all really different and your path changes, um, just be really centered on what it is that you want to do and things kind of fall into place. 
for students, I really recommend now going to Dream Resource Centers um, because when I was going to school, we didn't have those. I was part of a group of students that were advocating for those. And I actually attended Mount SAC, which was the first community college in California to have a Dream Resource Center. Um, so now that they're readily available on every campus, I really recommend that students go check them out because it, it's a resource that students back in the day really wish that they had. And now that I went back to school 10 years later where I was able to take advantage of the Dream Resource Center, I saw a world of a difference from navigating school then and now. So that I think is probably the biggest resource to um, undocumented youth who are probably going through school. Thank you. It's interesting that you mentioned the the DRCs that are now like really prevalent in a lot of universities because back then like you know like a lot of people were um fighting for the immigrant movement like DACA was established and now like thousands of students or um undocumented folk have benefited from it. So it's crazy like we all, we work we do this work now but um and we think like it's benefiting only us and like a couple people that we may know but like in later years it's it's such a powerful thing because a lot of people really benefit from it like not just us but not just our families not just our friends you know so really thank you so much for mentioning that um we we're in our last question um basically it's just is there anything else you would like to share um, before we end our interview. Um, I can't think of anything, to be honest. I wish I could. I think I spoke of uh, plenty. Um, so I'll leave it at that. <laughs> no problem. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for, for interviewing um, and really sharing your story, because this is something that we really love to hear from a lot of um, activists that y'all come from different backgrounds and experiences. And you're one of your, um, one of the things that you put in your uh, form was that, I'm reading it right here. You said that you became homeless and left school. And that was something that kind of like touched my heart a bit because I've never heard anyone like an undocumented person who became homeless and so like maybe could you speak a little bit more about that before um we end the interview if you don't mind yeah of course yeah I don't mind um so I know I spoke earlier about how like my mom was supportive of my artistic talent but that was one of the very few things if not the only thing she was supportive of um we don't really get along we have a really troubled family history just you know a lot of latinos have like really bad like gender dynamics um a lot of like men and latino families get away with a lot of things so it was one of those situations where like the men in um that my mom would like bring around like caused me a lot of harm and um you know again me being outspoken like I brought it up and this is like a story I think amongst like queer people a lot too where like if you're if you like face violence at the hands of men in the family you as the younger child are the one that gets cut off not the man 
So it was one of those situations. So my mom kicked me out and I really had nowhere to go. Um, I didn't really have a lot of community. I was in transitional moments with community, as I mentioned, you know, like that trial and error that I mentioned. Um, so I didn't really have a lot of people to lean on, um, but <laughs> I had a resource. It wasn't like the best resource, but um, I had a friend who was uh, like a student, like someone, like a student who oversees student housing at UC Berkeley um, for one of the off-campus houses. And he was like, you know, that house is open and no one's there, so you can go there. So I was like crashing um, in Berkeley for a while um, until that became really unsustainable for me. And I managed to get a ride back to L.A. with some friends. So I went from L.A. to Berkeley because I just like needed somewhere to go for sure. Uh, so I caught a bus ride over there. And then after spending a couple weeks there, I came back to LA where I did some couch surfing. Um, so I was dealing with housing instability for like a few months during that time. Um, and, you know, became estranged from my family since then. So um, that, I think, you know, definitely being undocumented made it difficult. Um, just because it was tied into work, you know, like trying to find work as someone who was dealing with housing insecurity and an expired DACA card, like the resources were very slim for me. Um, but I actually was able to build community along the way. Um, so while I was, you know, like people were the few people that I had to help me during that time, again, by leading, by telling me that I can go crash at student housing in Berkeley or like giving me a, a couch to stay on in LA, they they started to look into things for me um, and started to, you know, be like, oh, I have, I have, I'm looking for a room for you or something. So um, I met a lot of people along the way. Um, also crashing at other people's houses, you get to meet their guests. <laughs> so slowly but surely I started to like build community there and it became a lot less strenuous for me mentally also I actually felt kind of relieved to like be away from like my toxic home even though I was like dealing with housing instability um but yeah I don't really know what more I could say about it but just share that part um of my life and how it connects to you know building community and just like you know some like people having empathy for your situation and wanting to help um and being build, building connections in that way yeah that was perfect thank you so much for sharing um yeah so I think we I think we're at the end of our interview um but yeah thank you so much again for agreeing to do this with me and thank you so much for being flexible I I felt so bad trying having to reschedule the interview um I was speaking to my supervisor she was like yeah we'd have to like see if we if she can reschedule um just because we had an important meeting but yeah thank you so much um and I hope to see you in LA on August 11th if you're able to um I'll be presenting um my my workshop and then two of my other fellow fellows will all be also be doing their workshop um so like 
will have like your interview incorporated into the facilitation guidebook in some way. Um, not sure yet, but there is another thing that we will do um, um, from your interview. So we'll be putting the audio recording and Spotify so you can hear um, <laughs> your own voice, uh, share it with like your family and friends, you know. Um, but yeah, so that's a little feature that we're also doing. Um, yeah, do you have any questions before we end? I don't, but I really appreciate you reaching out um, and having this interview with me. I hope it's helpful. <laughs> <laughs> no, of course it is. Yes. Thank you so much for sharing your story. I'm so honored to be able to be the one to, to hear it. Um, yeah. Well, I appreciate it so much. Um, I'll see you in LA in August. And yeah, you have a nice day. Thank you. Keep Thank in touch. You. Yes. Bye. Bye.